experience the ripple effect. This is the Empowering Youth Podcast from Building Utah Youth. A nonprofit organization established in 2007 to provide powerful leadership training to the youth of our communities. And now, here's your host, by board member, co-owner of Rapport International and certified trainer, Brett Johnston. Hello and welcome back to the Empowering Youth Podcast. I'm Brett Johnston. I'm JJ Chanowski. I'm Preston Gladwell. And tonight we have a very special guest, someone who's been a huge, huge supporter of Building Utah Youth. Um, a, a serial go-giver in the sense that he's always giving back, going on team, jumping in to participate. And he's one of our newest board members here at Building Utah Youth, Mr. Dan Tanner. Welcome, Dan. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate being here. It's good Dan, to have Dan's you been here. practicing the breathing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's going to work, I promise. <laughs> so, Dan, um, you know, you've listened to all the podcasts and, and shared them. Um, and it's, it really is an honor to have you here. You're one of our most senior board members. Yes. Yeah, most and most senior in the uh, life experience category. And that's why we wanted you on. We wanted, on, wanted you on because, you know, what we do with Building Utah Youth is we bring the leadership training to the youth of our community, 15 to 18 in high school, just graduated. And you're very passionate about that. And yet you didn't get to go at 15 to 18. Nope. Wished I had, honestly. Um, and I think it would have had a, a, a big impact on my life, even though I, I, I feel like a lot of things that happened in my life, um, I was successful at, but I was still in the shadows. Mm. And, you know, and, and what I've gone through and what I've seen, that would have been a different story for me, without a doubt. Yeah, and that's, that's a big part of your why. Yeah. You know, you know and, and it has made a difference in your life and an impact in your life, and you've You've uh, obviously received a lot of benefits and, and awareness in your life from attending the training um, and applied it, which is why we're here. So I want to I just to give the audience a little bit about who you are, Dan. Give us a little bit of your history, a little bit of your background. Well, uh, I've lived in Utah my entire life. Uh, I lived up until uh, almost a teen in Utah County, and then we moved up to Weber County um, following my dad's job. And um, and most of my childhood was just spent doing most childhood things, nothing really exciting. Um, I started to do some activities in school and, and got involved in a couple of organizations at school and, and then, uh, you know, started my adulthood, um, took a, got into retail, which, um, you know, was sufficient then, then changed jobs, um, and, and got into some other things that, um, that helped me in my life. Um, was always involved with the youth when I could. Uh, the Boy Scouts of America was one that I put a few years into, uh, going in and helping boys to understand and to learn skill sets and uh, survival skills, all those things that were just fun. And, you know, hopefully help them to progress from being, you know, boys to men and, and looking at, um, you know, career choices that come from some of those things that we did. Um, and so, um, I, I, I really enjoyed that and that carried on in a lot of things that I did in my adult life. Um, um, and still doing my adult life, obviously, um, where I, you're uh, a spring chicken. Yes. <laughs> yes. I tell everybody I'm six, six heart, six decades, but still six. I like the number six. better. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then I, I took it to the uh, high school level, and I, I got involved in the community board and got involved in a couple of the organizations over there, um, got involved in their fundraising, and um, I, I um, was a chairman for the, the city celebration for eight years and raising funds for um, a high school association. So being involved and finding ways to help support is just a passion. And I got that from my grandfather and my father because they were always that, you know, granddad down in price um, was a, a building official. He worked on houses until he retired. Then he became a building official. And, and every time we went down to see him, he always had like a door on a sawhorse taking care of a neighbor's door that got broke or putting in a screen, you know, back then they actually repaired the screens rather than just replaced them, you know? And so that granddad was always giving service, always looking for ways to, you know, to, to give back to the community, to give back to the neighborhood. And my dad obviously followed that same suit. And so um, I learned a lot of that from 
from my parents um, and from my grandfather. And, um, and so, um, you know, being involved in, in uh, the youth organizations and then eventually kind of tapping out on with what happened scout programs with my church. Um, we look, I looked for something else to, to give back. And it was about that same time. I, I was fortunate to be able to be invited to attend leadership breakthrough one with the company I was with. Yeah. Who were you with at the time? I was with global health industries. Yeah. And, and, uh, and who, who uh, sponsored you to do that? It was Kim and Rhonda Wheelwright. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, amazing people. How many years ago was that? Just curious. That was back in 2013. Okay. So. Um, Almost one of those years ago. Yeah. Almost one. <laughs> <laughs> Close to one of those years ago. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they, they, when I first was hired on um, by Kyle Griffiths, who was um, obviously a graduate of, of uh, Leader One, um, he, he kind of introduced me to the culture as part of my, um, interviewed for the job and really just piqued my interest. Like, what is this? Right. And yeah. They're a little crazy. They, 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 yeah, they get a little crazy. Um, I mean, they put through a hundred plus people, honestly, through just leader one. And then, um, I can't, I don't know how many through communications course, but, um, and so they introduced me to that, um, and got the opportunity to go down. And, um, I, I've said this to people before I, I've got my, you know, before life, before report life. And I got my after report life. And my wife calls me the after report husband. How long have you been married? Uh, we're going on. Oh, good question. Thanks for that one. Uh, seven, <laughs> 17, sorry. 17, yeah. 17 years. It's an important and important yeah. question. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I knew the answer, but I had to go back and do the math. So at my age, sometimes, and I didn't take off my shoes, so you guys are good. Um, <laughs> but at this point, you'd been married about seven years. Seven years, yes. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and we had had some uh, challenges in our life, our, our daughter um, with cancer. Mm. Uh, she has a, a brain tumor. She, she still does, but it's in remission, so it's stabilized, and we feel very fortunate and blessed. Um, but it, it also takes a toll on you emotionally, psychologically, uh, you know, spiritually in a way. Because you just, you know, why the whys and, um, coming back from later one, they picked me up at the airport and my wife says, I'll drive. You've had a long day. And it's like, Oh no, you know, we're going to have some fun. And, um, I shared that with a few people on the board that I'm really surprised I didn't get pulled over and arrested for being so erratic. Um, on the drive home, on the drive home. Cause it was, a, you know, it was just a time to celebrate for me to celebrate. And the kids are kind of going, okay, who? Who are you and what did you do with dad? And, and how old were they at the time? So um, our oldest daughter, the one with the brain tumor, um, let's see, 17 from 22, <laughs> you know, and then um, our, uh, so we're, oh, 17. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. I'm doing the math wrong. Sorry. So she was uh, 14. Then Cooper was nine and our other son was six. Um, and so, um, they, you know, the younger boys, they only know the after report dad. They don't remember too much, but my, my, uh, my daughter, she remembers me before she remembers me after. And she is, um, she is quite, um, excited about some of the changes that we had made. I mean, obviously the, the commitment that you make in, in leader one to change the culture of not only home, but in the workplace, um, it changed the culture of our home. So explain that a little bit more. What, how did you apply that at home? Well, the, you know, parts of the process as you go through, um, really make you understand what's most important in your life. You know, that it, that it really is about heart, body, and soul. Um, it's about, um, you know, putting your all into it and, and, yeah, I get to put all my all into my family um, and showing them and nurturing them um, and helping them to realize how important they really are to me and ultimately to the people around them and to lift them and challenge them at the same time. Um, it's ironic that my boys, um, because my, our daughter's out of the house now, but our boys are in there and um, they are powerless, wordless. I mean, they they do not use powerless words 
We, yeah, because they've, they've grown up that way. They have. Yeah. Um, my wife went with me through communications and obviously was introduced to the, you know, the powerless word concept. Um, and so the, the boys, um, once in a while, when they hear one of us slip, it's, they're calling us out. Um, it's just part of the culture. And, and we see that, um, and especially our youngest son, as he's now just a sophomore in uh, high school, um, his grades improved. And it's because of his focus and his commitment. Um, and he was, I mean, he was really applying everything that we had talked about. And I talked to him a little bit about it. I didn't want to really spoil it for him because this next summer he gets to go experience it for himself. Yeah, he gets to go at the same time my daughter. Oh, that'll be awesome. That um, is great. You know, Dan, while you're talking about your daughter... And, and you were talking about, you know, um, when you guys lived through together, mm-hmm. lived through her battle of cancer, um, really want to talk about that for a minute, what that was like in your family. Um, when we first initially found out about it, cause we, we had had her tested because she'd have, so having seizures and having, um, some really bad episodes. And so we, we went through all the tests to see, um, she was diagnosed, um, with Asperger's which is a higher functioning autism, but that didn't explain some of the things that were happening. So they decided to do the MRI and the MRI revealed that the tumor is in the middle of her brain, which is inoperable. And, uh, it was growing exponentially. So they quickly got her under treatment. Um, and that was probably the most challenging time in our marriage. Um, because there was just so much emotion. My wife was just, you know, so heartbroken. This is her daughter, the only daughter and her first child. And she was not faring well. She just wasn't handling it well, went into some depression and just struggled. Um, I ended up going to all of her treatments um, to be her strength um, and um, help her to cope with what was going to go on with her body. How old was she when this treatment was happening? So it was a nine. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so we, we were able to go through that. We were looking at the next step and, and, you know, by the grace of God and, and through the blessings of, you know, from him, you know, we didn't have to take it to the next level that the, the chemotherapy that she went through was able to, um, slow the tumor down and, uh, stabilize it. And so we take her in for MRIs to follow up every year and, you know, come out smiling when the oncologist tells us, nope. No change, no change. And that's what we want to hear. No change. We want her to have a productive, healthy life. She still has some effects of her Asperger's, but at least she's with us. Yeah. And she's here contributing to our family and to life and she's enjoying life. And and that was important. Um, So the challenge, once we, we had the diagnosis and through all of those was just keeping the family solid and keeping them hopeful. Um, Her, the, um, the, the middle, our middle boy, um, Cooper, was diagnosed uh, three years later with um, severe autism. So his was a, about a, a learning disability. And, um, and with his social anxieties that, that came with that disability came the, you know, focus on, you know, how do we help him at the same time that we're now focusing on um, you know, what's next for the, the, for Jesse and her tumor. And, um, then it just really started wearing on us. Honestly, it did. Um, it showed up in my workplace and it showed up, um, with, you know, the, the rest of the family, my, the adult kids. And so, um, it just starts to get heavy. Oh, it, it really did. Um, and I, and I, I won't, I won't deny that it didn't take a toll on me too. All the things that I was excited about and our future and everything, it just, it seems like they really faded because of, of, you know, what has happened. Um, my wife just sometimes couldn't find the strength to just move on and get up and go. Um, and so the good news helped us to a point. Um, but we still were stuck. We were still in that. We don't know what's next. Um, the doctors say, Hey, it's stabilized, but we know cancer has no rules and that, um, that at any time it could start up, um, just having lost a brother to cancer 
and his courageous four-year battle um, uh, with his, you know, you just, you feel like things are progressing and things are going to be okay. And then all of a sudden it just comes back. And, and that's what we were facing back then when she was so small um, was dealing with, um, you know, how to um, cope with the situation, how to have faith that everything's going to work out. Um, when cancer has no religion, cancer has no, they don't answer to anybody. Cancer just does what it wants. Yeah. And as a father, you just want to fix it. Yeah. You just want to make it go away. You want to make it better. When she sat on my lap, cause I, there, Jesse with her, um, Asperger's, she hated needles. Mm. And, uh, and because of her Asperger's and the MRI, the MRI, you have to sit very, very still. Cause if you don't, then it messes up the images. And so, I'd have to sedate her to put her through the MRI machine. And um, the first time we put her through that, it just was a disaster. And so the doctor says, we're going to sedate her. And it was almost worse just doing the sedation. She was just... With the needles and and the process. Hates the needles and the stab and the feel and everything else. And so... um, she got mad at her mom and kicked her mom out of the room. And then she got mad at me and wanted me to go. And it's like, no, I'm here for the long haul, honey. We're going to make this work. And so as we continue to do MRIs, which we did monthly um, for, for about six, to, uh, six or seven months, just to see the progression, um, I'd go in and I would basically just be an eight point contact seat belt on her. And one nurse would hold down her arm and I'd hold down everything else that would foil and they'd get the needle in. So they'd get the IV in and get the sedation material air um, chemicals in her. And so um, as a father sitting back watching, hearing the cries, you know, knowing the struggle, it, it did. It took a toll. I was grateful that um, my wife wasn't in there because um, she'd already had, you know, a lot of, um, struggles with what was going on and, and uh, the pain that Jesse was in as she was going through this process. Um, but it, it, it became, you know, our thing, me and Jesse, okay, we're going to go down we're doing MRI. Um, I, I learned a little trick uh, from the doctor. Um, uh, it's called pain, pain displacement. And because uh, she always hates the needle prick when they stick it in. And, um, and so I would grab her foot and I'd squeeze it really hard. Mm. And then she'd say, stop squeezing my foot. It hurts. And she would yell at me to stop squeezing her foot. And then I'd let go. And she says, thank you. And it's like, oh, by the way, look at your arm. And the needle was in. Wow. She didn't even feel it. You know, and so that was our game. And I found you know, a hand or a foot or I grabbed her um, by her leg or somewhere. I just grab her and I just pinch or something at the same time that they were inserting the needle in it. And it, and she, so she wasn't so focused on that. She still has a lot of fear of needles because she had a lot put in her over time. And once again, she's how old right now? Now she's 22. So she was nine when that was diagnosed and you had to go through all of that. Yep. And I've got to pause you right there because I think as the audience is listening to your story, I just think about the hard things that we overcome in life, like what you have done. And then you go through other challenges, Dan, and then you step back and you go, I've been through harder. Why am I so worried about whatever's in front of you right this second? I've been through harder stuff. <laughs> and and that, that story that you just tell, I, I can relate in some ways that I just go, wow, that's the toughest thing, seeing your child cry because of that needle. And I, you know, Brett, before we were live, What did you apply? How did you, how has that changed you today with the skills you learned through that? Um, you know, so what, what I experienced with Jesse back before rapport, um, I applied absolutely hundred percent to the things that have happened after, um, five months of being a caretaker to my father who died slowly of dementia and then, um, being the caretaker or part of the caretaker, uh, for my brother who, um, who just recently passed from cancer. So, um, having gone through the, um, and understanding the report culture, it, the focus was really not on 
um, wasn't it wasn't inward. It was more outward. I mean, it was my it was my heart, and my feelings saying, okay, what's more important to me? What's more important to my self preservation and how I feel is is I've got to give. I've got to help someone to feel better. I've got to help someone to breathe a little easier, live a little better. Um, and, and the focus became, um, more of, okay, how do I, how do I contribute? How do I help? Where do I give? What can I do? And not so much, you know, why is this happening to me? Why is this, you know, happening? And, and, you know, it's painful to watch. It really is painful to watch someone you, you know, and you love that you've been around for 56 years fishing, camping, shooting guns as a hobby and be there the day that he takes his last breath and walk out going, damn, I'm glad I was there. I'm so glad I was able to be with him, help him, even if it made a small difference. I, I know he was there when I was talking to him on his last day because when I would speak, he, he would squeeze my hand. And, um, and knowing that he felt at peace at times was, was a focus. It, so my focus went from, you know, poor me or whatever to just, okay, what can I do to help one, just one person, you know, have a better life, make the difference for at least just one person. You know, as you're talking about that, Dan, I'm thinking about <clears throat> my dad while we were having dinner as a family. And at the end of the dinner, he grabs this spoon and you know, my dad, well, yep. he grabs this spoon and he, and, and just a clean dinner spoon and he, and he hands it to me and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to look at yourself in that spoon on each side of that spoon and pass it around the table and don't say anything. And after everyone at the table did that, they looked at themselves on one side of the spoon, flipped it around, looked at themselves on the other side of the spoon. He said, now, what did you guys see well, on one side of the spoon? When you looked at yourself, you'd see yourself upside down. Flip the spoon around and you're right side up. And he says, how this shows up in our lives is the inside of the spoon, which represents the inside of us. Mm -hmm. When you look at yourself on the inside of that spoon and everything is about you, your life's upside down. And as you turn around and you look outward away from that spoon, right? The backside, looking away, looking at how you can help others, looking at how you can give to others. That's when your life's right side up. And, and that's the metaphor. You know, that's what you're talking about is, is through these, you know, things. Uh, and I've said this before on this podcast, you know, there are so many times you hear people say, you know, everything happens for a reason in this life. And, you know, I can, I can get on the train with a lot of things and say, yeah, yeah, I can absolutely see that. And then there's some things that when you're talking about, you know, people that are watching their kids go through just horrific times in their lives or losing a child or, you know, you're talking about as I sit here, listen to you talk about being there when your brother, you know, breathes his last breath. It's, it's really hard to kind of look at the, the reasoning behind that. Um, but yet figuring out what is the real, you know, message. And it's about looking outward. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just the fact that you were able to be there. You, you made, you made the choice and, and, and being there to take care of your dad for those final months, that was a decision that you made. You know, it kind of reminds you of givers gain, takers lose. Yeah. And I, and I really focus on that. Um, a lot of my life, um, is that, um, I, I'm best rewarded when I'm giving. I mean, I, I look at it and everything, um, time, money, effort, it, it all comes back tenfold. And, and who doesn't want that in their life? Um, you know, the Gary's last comment to me, um, when he could speak was dad would be very proud of you. And that meant a lot because my dad is my hero. Always has been. We did a lot of things together, built my home. Uh, oh, I did fishing camp and we did a lot of things together and dad was my hero. And, um, and it wasn't necessarily that that's what I wanted, but I knew that you know, I'd learned a lot of that example from him and to emulate, you know, how he lived his life, always giving and really not expecting anything back. My, my dad was one of those old timers that's very proud. If anybody wanted to give him money, it's like, nope. Not going to happen. No. 
you know, as a family, we raised a lot of money to get him hearing aids because he, he couldn't hear worth crap. And so we, we rallied the family and we, we got him money and he turned around and put it back in everybody's account and said, no, I'm going to do this on my own. You know, and it was a gift that came from the heart of the family, but dad's pride was absolutely not, you know, his was about it. I give, and I, but I don't receive and he, and he, uh, he really is that way. Um, and, and bless his heart, even up until he died. I, I remember um, the day that he passed away, I was patting his cheek. I remember as a kid, my dad, if we were sick or if we were upset, my dad would come in and he'd just pat our cheek. He'd just, you know, this kind of comforting pat going, it'll be okay, you know. And it was comforting from your dad, right, that your dad was was there and he understood. He wasn't there. My dad never really lectured me on the, the bad choices I made. He just said, okay, you get to deal with the consequences. Um, so on dad's last day, I did that to him. And as I was patting on the cheek and said, dad, it's okay. Go see mom. You know, you put up a good fight. 85 years is a long time on this earth to, to do what you've done. And, and we're proud of you. We love you. And as I'm patting on the cheek, his last response to me because he wasn't verbal anymore at that point. His last response was he reached up and he swatted my hand away as to say, stop fussing over me. That was his last little thing. Not surprised. <laughs> you know, stop fussing over me. And, um, and then to be there um, when he, he too was at, at the end of his life um, and, and grateful that I was able to. And that's the gratitude. And that's the only thing I really wanted from was knowing that I did what I could to help dad and to help my brother as they, um, were battling their battles. They were, they were coming close to the end of their lives. So, um, as I, as I look back on what changed, you know, from before rapport and after rapport was my focus. Really, where was my focus? Um, with, with Jesse, really, I, uh, you know, people would come to me and say, you, you, you know, we really feel bad. And it's like, thank you. And what can we do for you? And it's like everything, you know, and, um, and I, and I really wasn't as strong as I wished I could have been. Um, but then after rapport and after learning, um, especially through um, all the courses I took, because I took uh, my leader two and became a master grad and then, in February before my dad died and learning that, um, that was a, that was a defining moment to take that class before your dad died. Oh, it was well, and it was a, um, there's, there's a philosophy with rapport in regards to going to class about making life decisions and things. And, um, and as I was back to work and a choice was given to me to either tell my dad to bug off or to leave because my dad through all of his anxieties, with his dementia was calling me 14, 16 times a day at work. And they were quite frustrated with it. And it's like, he's got dementia. What do you want me to do? Well, it's either. Either you go or that's got to stop. Yeah. And so I made the choice and I went home and I stayed with my dad for five months. Um, you know, I was blessed to be able to have the resources to do that. Um, but it, it was really more important to me uh, to look after him and to give back to him all that he'd given to me in my life. Um, dad, had, even though he wasn't always a gracious receiver, he was always a gracious giver and he gave everything he did. He had, um, and, and for heaven's sakes, there's nine kids in our family. So dad had a lot to give and, and he gave it to every one of us equally. There were no favors or favorite, you know, children he gave to everyone equally. So he was just a great example. Um, now, how we received that and what we did with that, obviously, that's um, it was personal, individual. But um, the the skills, the the principles that we learned in rapport, they they really changed my mindset. They changed. They reframed. You know exactly. Okay, what is it that I have to do? I I know that giving, I get I get blessings. I get I get back. And that was already a part of your life. It was. Yeah. But how much more did I have to give? How much more was I really willing to, you know, to, to um, put into life and put into my family, put into my community, give to my church, uh, to, to just any, anybody who wanted it, you know? And so when the questions came up about, you know, 
can you help me with Gary? He needs to go to his treatments. And can you do this? Can you do that? It's like not even a second thought. No, I'm there. What do you want? Take time off of work. I'm, I'm there. Drive him down. Yes. Feed him. Yes. What, are, what do you want? Um, the same with dad. Um, his dad's dementia was worst when COVID was at worst. And, you know, to tell an 85-year-old that he can't get in his car and go down to the grocery store anymore, when that was his pastime three times a week because he only bought a couple of days in advance that he can't do that anymore. You know, it was, um, it, it was t- challenging for him and it was challenging for us as a family to, um, meaning the siblings to help him understand that, um, reframing it a little bit as in the, well, dad, they, they just, they just, um, they've got some things going on and we need to just stay home and I'll just go take care of it. You know, and not, not necessarily worrying him because I think that he wouldn't fully understand what was going on with COVID. But to help him to understand that, you know, you don't need to worry about that, Dad. That, you know, let us take care of that. Let us, um, you know, help you to be able to, um, you know, get get what you need and take care of your needs um, and to uh, understand where he's coming from. I mean, I really took a lot of time to listen to him and to find out what his fears and anxieties were, even though they sometimes were shrouded by, you know, the effects of dementia, which is they don't remember much. They just don't. And um, and helping dad to understand things a little better so that, you know, his life was more comfortable um, up until, you know, the time that um, he, uh, he actually fell and broke his hip and after two weeks after that happened, that's, that's when he passed. Um, so, um, I, I look at the, the culture of rapport and, um, you know, I, I felt like I was really handling things well before with the whole thing that was going on with our daughter and then the challenges that came after rapport and, um, honestly, peace for those that, um, I had the, the, the fortunate, you know, blessing to be with and to, um, to give to, but peace for myself in knowing that um, I did what I could to make a difference for that person at that time in their life. You know, and how important is that? Um, that to get comfortable being uncomfortable because dad was uncomfortable sometimes. Um, yeah, he was working, you were working on your patience. Oh, without a doubt with him. And then, uh, when my brother was going through his situation and he had a, a colostomy bag and um, anybody who's who ever dealt with that, that's a mess. And um, again, more patience with what was going on with him, but you know, coming from the heart going, okay, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. You know, that it, it's more, it's more about him. Um, he doesn't like it either. He doesn't like to deal with it. He doesn't like to have to. Doesn't like you to be there to deal with it. Oh, no, and he always apologizes. Like, stop saying that. You have nothing to apologize for. You know, this isn't happening because of anything you've done. This just happened, and I'm sorry. And don't ever apologize. Please don't ever apologize. Um, and, um, and so I, you know, the getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, and then get the whole you know comfort zone and craziness because, you know, you just don't. Yeah, that starts right early in the first training, you yeah. know, getting getting uh, comfortable being uncomfortable and recognizing that's where all the growth is. Oh, it is. Well, and then you know, and then further on in the training, when you when you understand that you you just do what it takes. It may look unsurmountable. It may look, you know, that it's impossible. It's like I I, I don't know if I can do this. I just don't. And those thoughts never came into my head when it came to those challenges of helping uh, family members with a very um, difficult end of life um, that you'd look at that challenge going, got this. I know what it's going to take. I, I, I'm not going to get uncomfortable with anything that happens or, or any, you know, process or, or, you know, mess that may have to be cleaned up. I'm just not because that's not the focus. The focus is making sure they arrive Making sure they're taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. They arrive in peace. And, and, you know, and that's the thing I think I focused on when I was, you know, dealing with my brother, my dad was, you know, being from a religious family, arriving at peace, Yeah, you know, 
that when they when they come to their time, are they at peace? And uh, when they finally take that last breath, and and um, do you ever ask yourself, you know, what would I want them to do if it was me in their shoes? No, I don't think. Um, I don't think I did. I I I know I know what my dad would do without a doubt because he he was like I said he was part of the example, and I know in one of the toughest things in my life um, with the end of my first marriage that there was no lecture. There was no, um, you know, I told you she wasn't good for you. There wasn't any of that. When I finally um, come to let him know, he just said um, quite softly and in, in that fatherly love that he has, um, you needed to figure it out for yourself. And and I know that in his mind that he, he knew that, you know, things were not working well, but he was going to let me battle that battle and um, make that choice. And, um, but after that, that was the last thing he said to me. Other than there's a room, park your car in the garage, dinner's at five o'clock, you know, and just love me, absolutely love me and, and stayed out of my business. And, um, and, and I think that's hard for parents to do. Oh, wow. It, yeah. it really is. And, and, and dad had lived his life that way. He really did not want to be um, uh, involved in our lives to the point that we felt like he was, you know, a, a pain in the butt or wanting to tell us what to do. He just really stepped back. Um, and so I know that in in my need, and that was a, that was a tough challenge for me, without a doubt, um, preparing me for, because my daughter that has the tumor is actually my stepdaughter. And, um, and, um, his love and nurturing for me, you know, helped me to uh, understand that this, you know, that I can survive. I will move on. I can, um, you can do tough things. Oh, absolutely. Tough Amazing. Things. And then, um, and then to, you know, find this, uh, beautiful bride and, um, and then, you know, a year after we're married, we find out about this tumor and, um, and it takes us to that next, um, challenge, you know, so, um, but dad gave me the strength all the way through that, through the whole process of finding out about her tumor stuff. Dad was my hero all the way through. He was always coming over. What can we do? Let me take the boys. Let me do this. Let me do that. He, he always was looking for ways to help us through things. Um, and so as I think about if it was me on that other side, um, that dad would be that way. Um, and Gary would be that way. Mm -hmm. Gary has been. Gary had always been that. And like I said, we, we had great examples. My grandfather, my father, they always uh, stepped up and um, found some way to help us one way or another. Um, e even though they were the most stubborn about receiving it, um, they, they didn't hesitate at all. Your dad lived or taught you by example. Mm -hmm. And I wish I would have met your dad. That's awesome. Wish you could have honestly. Um, but um, I, I, I know that, you know, tough challenges are continue to come at us. Yeah, it's not over. Oh, no. You know, as I listen to you talk, um, there's, I want to, I want to shift here for a minute. Sure. Um, because I know that there's one class that really just shifted your marriage and that was power communications. And, you know, you were, after you went to leader one, you came home and <clears throat> had that little bit of an erratic drive home, you know, the, the after report, Dan Tanner, um, you were then given another gift and that was for you guys to go to power communications together. Yep. Global health. Um, I mean, I went in April to, um, to leader one and then the next October, um, global health says, Hey, look, we'll, we're going to send you to communications. And if your wife wants to go, we'll pay half and you pay the balance. It's like golden, you know, sign me up. So then you had to talk her into it. Oh, Yes. Um, when, she, when she asked me about leader one and, and what we went through in leader one, she just kind of going, no. Um, you know, because she was de still dealing with the psychological effects of what happened with our daughter. And, um, and it, and it, and it, and it did because she is, um, having, she has professional help, um, to help her to cope and to deal with those things. And so, um, when I thought about communications, not knowing exactly what it's going to be about, I thought, well, it's a communication class and communication and marriage is obviously very, very important. So honey, we got to go. 
and uh, convinced her to go because um, a good friend of mine, Brett Lewis, had gone through, went through with his wife and said, the best thing you'll ever do for your marriage. So I trusted Brett. And Brett wasn't, well, Brett's a good friend. Brett is a really good friend. Um, and so took my wife through it. Um, there is part of that course that is a very, very challenging course. Um, and um, during that um, part of the class, um, I, I had to set aside all of my, my anxieties about what was going on and put 100% of my focus on my wife. Because it was a it was a very difficult challenge for her personally. Um, as I reviewed, you know, um, that process in my mind, well, that that was beautiful to me. I mean, I pictured all of those things that they asked us to picture, and and it was beautiful to me. But hers was a train wreck, and so the focus had to come on to, you know, help her and help her get through this and help her to understand the benefits of it and. Um, and we got, we got really close. I mean, it wasn't knee to knee. It was like belly to belly and, and, um, and we just, we, we got through that with her. Um, and the, and the whole course itself with understanding communication styles, my wife has a style that's very, um, challenging at times. Um, but understanding that obviously helped me tremendously to help and especially, during that particular exercise, I took immediately the skill set and applied it and ultimately helped her, I believe helped her to, you know, to get through that process. Um, one of my favorite memories of communication is in the end, and she gets up and she speaks for a little while, but she's somber because she'd... Um, was recalling all the things that we'd learned. And uh, Miss Alexander, who was teaching the course, said, Elisa, that's my wife's name, Elisa, what does that mean for you? And for the first time in a long time, I saw my wife come out of her skin with excitement and joy because she had found a way to release, you know, a way to be able to, um, you know, find peace in her life, knowing that there's hope and, and, um, and knowing that she has a skill set to help her to cope with what she's dealing with as she would want to communicate things. Um, and after she had made that, you know, she'd, she'd asked that question and she just, she just started jumping up and down and screaming, hollering, meaning that, you know, she's celebrating, um, you know, what that meant for her, the class. Everyone got up and there was the biggest group hug I've ever seen in my life. And it was like spontaneous. It was just boom, done. And I sat back and just bawled my eyes out. And we got done with the glass. Of course, it took her a while because she wanted to hug everybody for about 10 minutes each. Um, and when we went home, uh, life was different. It was completely different. The respect um, for um, understanding and wanting to um, to know you know, more about how, you know, people communicate and, you know, and, and how we can make it so that it's more uh, comfortable and more productive and more loving and coming from our heart. Um, that changed in our house. And um, not only did we, you know, we, we worked on those crazy powerless words that we knew about, but we really understood givers gain. Mm. And, and to think of, you know, the, the creative part of everything that helps us to, um, you know, to, to find the ways to get through, you know, some of the things and feelings and emotions we're feeling because of what has happened in life. Um, and so communications was huge for our marriage as we had gone through this challenge that was kind of separating us a little bit um, as we were looking at um, how we felt about it and coping it with our own ways to understanding and really accepting as partners, you know, how we both feel and how important it is that we get through this together. It was a very powerful course for us. Um, um, she, she still talks about her communications experience. And that was clear back in 2013. And she still talks about it. Nine years later, 
do you remember when? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's that projector in my mind that keeps playing that scene over and over and over. You know, and it uh, and it and it brings joy. And our and our marriage really did take a drastic turn after that course. Um, more committed to each other, more committed to understand each other, more committed to make sure we effectively, you know, communicate with each other. And it led to a whole slew of things that she wanted to do, and I was absolutely 100% behind it because if it meant she, um, she was more comfortable and she would understand better and, our, and life was going to be happier, absolutely. I mean, let's bring it on. So, Yeah, that, that's awesome, Dan. Um, you know, as you finish that course and maybe shifting again, another stage came upon. Um, not too long ago, you joined the board for building Utah youth. How did that change your life? It gave me an opportunity to do what down in my heart. I, I, I have to do, I want to do, I need to do. Um, as I think about this, the generations, especially the younger generations and the challenges they face. Um, when I was involved in the scouts and doing all those things for all those years, it was all about helping them to make, um, you know, good choices, helping them to have the strength, helping them to have the courage and to, to stand up and do things and learn things. And thank you, Brett, um, to, um, to, to really help them to grow. And, and when those went away, it's like, uh, unbelievable. Right. And so, um, through the introduction with, um, with global health to rapport and an opportunity, my, my first on team, no second on team experience with Mr. Johnson up at Daniel summit. And, um, and I thought, okay, I found that replacement for that hole because the scouting program is gone and, and my involvement in the school was gone. And so now I had this, this emptiness of how do I help kids and I'm doing what I can. And I, I had a couple opportunities to send kids through the program and go to the graduations and feel the energy. And it's like, I, I got to get involved in this. This drives me crazy. I Here I've got all this, you know, energy and enthusiasm and excitement for, you know, the youth and helping them to be successful in life. And I'm bridled because the programs that I used to do are gone. And so, when I was asked, Hey, do you want to be on the board? It's like, Oh my heck, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, uh, you can't stop me. Well, yeah. that was after you'd volunteered so many times for anything you were asked for. Oh, I, yeah. I, I really was. It's like, okay, <coughs> right, where, where's it being held and what can I do? Can I come cook? And then I, I don't know. I grabbed a vacuum a couple of times. I didn't care. I just wanted to be there and be involved. And, and yeah, Dan's the fun. guy that would show up at graduation and then, the last one to leave because he'd stick around and help us clean up after. <laughs> yeah, it was it was important. I mean, the the the, the what building Utah youth does and the changes they make in the kids' life is is invaluable. As I talked to my nephew who just went through um, last month, he, he was in the military academy, and so he has you know some part of you know leadership and in him through the academy. But my brother says now I can't get him to shut up. Because he was a soft-spoken, you know, leader in the academy. He's not so soft-spoken anymore. Mm. And he's confident. Um, his grades improved. His attitudes towards school has improved. He has desire and has a focus. And, and so that was exciting to hear that, you know, through that opportunity had to come and be um, to attend teen um, leadership. But that, that took it to that next level for him. Because he, he'd already thought, you know, I, I, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm in Utah Military Academy, and I'm, you know, one of the leaders there, and I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, when I talked to him after, because I went down and helped them move into their house a week after, and I had that conversation with him, and it's okay, what's going to change? And he says, everything's changed. He says, when I got there and I started commanding his unit, they all just kind of said, what in the world happened to you over the weekend? And yeah, we tell the parents at, at the parent talk at the end of uh, class when we're talking to them about the experience, and we tell them, hey, if you if you sent a child here that you know you didn't talk a lot or they were soft spoken, mm -hmm. and you take them home and they never shut up, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> and if and if you send someone here that would never shut up and you take them home and you can't get them to talk, 
You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> it'll all, it'll all work out. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, Jake as I mean, my brother keeps talking about, it. in fact, um, my youngest nephew from my brother's family is headed up, uh, to be with my son and your daughter. So, um, cause Tom was just so excited about, you know, the change that was happening in Jake's life. And, um, and my Taylor, my, uh, my nephew, the youngest nephew, he is again in the military academy and he is very shy. And Tom says, please send him back like Jake. It's like, okay, we'll do our absolute best. And so you just never know. No, you don't. Yeah. Um, and Taylor is a smart kid and he's a, a passionate kid and, um, I'm excited for the change. Um, and so after being involved behind the scenes and then moving to an opportunity to be on the board, it's, it's like, hell yeah, please, please, please. I, I, because I, I mean, I still have that same drive, that same, you know, passion for making a difference for that one, but I don't want it to be one. I want it to be a thousand. I want the it ripple. to be 10,000. I want it to be more than that. Right. I, I want to be able to, yeah, get, get one in the water and then go back and get another one <laughs> as we understand. Yeah. Right. Yes. Get one in the water and go back and get another one and make a difference and let that effect, that ripple effect go. And, um, and what better way, what better way than to join an organization that's focus is a hundred percent on empowering teens, helping them to make, you know, dramatic changes in their lives, helping them to understand their capabilities and, and, and making changes in his life that, that will benefit them, um, in, in the most positive way, in the most excellent way. I mean, I, I think of some of the kids that I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of, uh, sponsoring to go through and I see them after, um, Aaron who went through, um, four years ago and got to meet with him and he is a part owner in business and loud and proud, um, still talks about his experience up there, even though he was one of those quiet guys in the corner that didn't change him at all. You know, he still has this now conviction because he was really concerned or confused about life because of some things that happened in his family and with his parents. And now he's hundred percent focused on himself, on being successful, you know, making a difference um, and being the leader that he is. I'm super proud of Aaron and all the things that he's doing and what he stands for and his focus and, and, um, and so being on the board means that I, I just get to be part of that change. I and you're now leading the committee to do what? Oh, the recharge committee. Yeah. We could have uh, some recharges Yeah, to help, to help the kids to give back Yeah, and then to keep them committed. Yeah. Help them to, to really understand, okay, what is it we learned up there and why is it important to apply it in your life? And how are you going to give to yourself? Yep. Yeah. And, and figure out a way to give back. And, um, so yeah, excited to be part of that and excited to be part of it. I mean, all aspects of, of building into youth and very excited to, um, you know, finally get my groove back yeah. with, uh, with, uh, helping the kids and, and contribute in, in some way for them to, um, to find, you know, their purpose in life and, and what's important to them. Well, Dan, I know we're running out of time, but I have two things we want to get to before, you know, you're done. But the first one, um, you know, before we started, we shared with you what the last one would be. But the, the first one I want to ask you about is I've heard a lot about your personal life and, um, you know, some of the gifts you've been given mm -hmm. and as, as well as opportunities, opportunities, opportunities. And it's how you framed those opportunities. Um, but after you uh, took the time off and took care of your father, you were given another opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Um, so as faith is part of my, my life, um, as, as I was saying goodbye to my dad, um, I had interviewed for a position with the, with the city that I worked for and had absolutely zero experience doing it. Absolutely zero experience. Yeah, and what brought you to even make the choice to, Get out on the skinny branch and apply for it in the first place. Well, I, I, cause I, nobody applies for this position. I mean, I just, I no. mean, I'm not saying there weren't people that applied. I'm just saying it's not the most attractive or, you know, those of you who haven't had the opportunity to live or work in HR wouldn't understand how important that role is. 
and how impactful it is and, and really the difference that it makes in every facet of a person's life and growth inside of that company and outside of that company, how important that position is in that role. It's just, it's instrumental, right? But then you have people that have never lived in that position and, and have a negative outlook on it. Um, and, and Dan, you just have to share the position before you go into the explanation. <laughs> so, um, I, I had a, a neighbor that works for West Haven city and he says, Hey, he's known me for a while. And, um, he's just a great guy. And I, he's the one I've been um, working on to get to report. Um, his life is really busy. He wanted to get rid of him. He, and so he just said, Hey, you know, we, I know cause I'd been lurking and you know, during COVID lots of things shut down. And so the job openings were not there. You were in, you were in manufacturing. I was in manufacturing yeah. in uh, dietary supplements, um, along with Brent, Brent Lewis. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, you know, one of those get out of your comfort zones, get into something that's, you know, uncomfortable, this, you know, the, the discomfort zone. And, and, uh, he said, Hey, we got this job as a code enforcement officer. And it's like, isn't that like the most hated position in the whole city? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the code enforcement code officer. So, and, and then I, I even made it worse. I went in and I'm a, now an MS4. So, uh, contractors aren't really fond of me either. So I, not only do I have the citizens that don't, sometimes don't like me, I have contractors that sometimes don't like me. Um, but I, it, I knew that um, I had to move on and moving on meant being uncomfortable, meaning get out of my comfort zone and, and finding a challenge that would really challenge me. But I knew I had the skill set to be successful at because the important part of my interview that I found out later was they don't want somebody who understands code. They want somebody that knows how to apply it, how to gain agreement and, and, and not upset. How to work with people. The citizens, yeah. you know, and uh, communications. I a hundred percent, right? What does that look like? Leader one and all the things we learned in leader one, how does that apply? And I just, I mean, it was five months off of, off of leader two. And it's like, okay, I can do hard things. You know, I can take on a new career in a field that I've never done anything about. I mean, I, I understand ordinances from um, a time with a city. So I understand ordinances and I knew, understand the importance of them and process and stuff. But going out and convincing people to be compliant, going out and help people to understand, you know, the, okay, you, you can't do that. I know you got property rights, but, you know, there's still some things we need to do because it's all about the continuity of the community. And, but, but what did I know about that? Absolutely zero. But what I knew is I could do it. I knew I had the confidence. I knew that my um, skill set as far as, you know, being able to communicate was spot on. Um, I'd used it and was successful at it many times. Um, and so uh, the mayor of the city um, approached me after um, I accepted the position. She says, you know why you got that job? I said, no. She says, because communication and how you communicate with a citizen was the key thing we were looking for in the person in this job. Someone who would know how to communicate, someone who would know how to gain agreement, someone who know would help, help them to be compliant. Has patience. And all those things. Someone who, who has empathy. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So she, she said, that's the reason you got the job. And it's like, thank you, report. So what's wow. next for Dan Tanner? <laughs> well, you know, um, I've always said I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning of my career. Um, but a career isn't always about making money. A career to me is about my legacy. And what do, what do I, when, when I'm gone, when I'm taking that last breath and somebody's looking down at me and I want to brush Patting it, you on the cheek. Yeah. And I'm wanting to brush their hand away. I want it to be my legacy. I mean, for me, it's like, okay, continue doing you know, the, to support my family and be successful in what I do, but still find opportunities, still give, still, um, you know, do exactly what, you know, the reason why I wanted to be on the board with building Utah youth is finding ways to give back, um, for all the blessings I've received with all the training and all the things that have happened in my life, but to help them to have peace in their lives and uh, um, have the skill set, you know, to survive it and to, to be successful at it. So 
what's next for me is just straightforward norm around the back. Um, giving back the best I can, helping as many as I can, uh, leaving a legacy of, you know, love, compassion, sharing, giving, um, and being rewarded for it. I mean, it, you, what's better than to have that kid come up after a couple of years, um, gone to teen leadership, and he hugs you till your stuffing's popping out because it made a difference. And Amen. So, you know, for me, it's just, you know, what's next for me is continue. And, uh, you know, get my stuff and hug that at me. <laughs> we have a lot of gratitude for you, Dan. A lot of gratitude. Yeah. We're, oh, we're honored to have you uh, part of our board, you know, and to be able to serve for this wonderful cause. And, and sincerely appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. Oh, I really yes. appreciate the invitation. Thank really you. Do. Thank you so, very much. Thank you for the time to share my story. I appreciate that. One, one last thing I just want to share with the audience, you know, Dan came aboard on the board and we have a, a position when we do a class, it's called night Rangers. The person has to stay up all night long. Just make sure kids stay in their rooms. Guess make sure the boys stay in the boys rooms and, and the, the girls, girls stay in the, the girls, girls room. room. <laughs> Guess who volunteered first? Yes, yeah, big, big Dan. Dan Tanner. Yeah. We thank you and we love you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's all. Love this group. Respect, integrity, passion, personal power, leadership, enthusiasm. This has been the Empowering Youth Podcast from Building Utah Youth. To become part of the 3%, visit Building Utah Youth on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or on our website at buildingutahyouth.org.